Well, good morning, Merry Christmas. I guess we can still say that, right? Uh, good morning to our church family at home or someplace in the world, wherever you're watching from. Uh, I discovered this Christmas that simplicity sometimes brings clarity. And uh, this has been a different kind of year, right? And for some of us, that made for a different kind of Christmas. We weren't with family or we uh, have traditionally uh, done Christmas Eve in some kind of a gathering like we had on Christmas Eve, Eve and Christmas Eve. And that's just been different this year. And for Alfie and myself, uh, it was a little simpler Christmas. And yet in that, uh, there was a certain clarity about who Christmas was about. And it turns out, it's not about us. Huh? Who knew? It's about God who came to be with us. And not just at Christmas. And not just for 33 years. But forever. And this is a wonderful truth of Christmas. So that's why it's Merry Christmas all the time. Um, want to change focus just a little bit. Uh, when the Copper Hills began some 22 or 23 years ago, we knew early on that the apprenticeship needs or how people are apprenticed to Jesus or the traditional church word is discipled to Jesus uh, is different for men than it is for women. Though the apprenticeship part is the same, how that happens best is unique to that gender. And so for these last many years, We've had a men's ministry that helps men apprentice to Jesus and a women's ministry that helps women apprentice to Jesus. And though they meet in some similar formats, they meet here on campus for Bible studies and for some events and some kind of community gatherings, how they go about that is different. Apparently, guys aren't all that interested in teas. Who knew? And uh, women aren't that interested in barking at the moon. <laughs> you know, so it's different, right? Uh, but the apprenticeship to Jesus is the same. It, this is what we have come to believe, that as we help one another in, increasingly do every moment of life with Jesus, the with God life, something happens over time, over years. We actually find ourselves intuitively and naturally thinking increasingly like Jesus thinks. And then what happens if over several years, many years, you are intuitively thinking like Jesus, you actually act like him. And our hope would be that we would help each other increasingly do all of life with Jesus so we increasingly think like him, so we are mistaken for him in our world. So that in a way, we become like Jesus in the world to our world. So, uh, this weekend, I asked a friend of mine who is involved in a national ministry called Man in the Mirror, to teach us. But I asked him specifically because he and his family, uh, Casey and Harper and Jack, are part of our church family. And uh, his name is Tyler Sutton, and uh, he is a regional director for Man in the Mirror, which means that he oversees a bunch of area directors who are in like cities across the western part of our country. And he's kind of their coach and director. But we're so privileged that he's here part of our church family. Uh, he and his family moved here about five years ago, though he's born and raised in Arizona. And here's one thing you may or may not like. It's going to be the differentiating factor whether you actually listen to him this morning or not. He is a University of Arizona Wildcat fan. See, it's a win-lose, dude. Sorry, buddy. I set you up for that, right? Um, but four years ago, we uh, still believed in what Tyler was doing through Man in the Mirror. 
that we said we want to come alongside and support you monetarily, financially, because he depends on his livelihood through the gifts of people who support his ministry. And so for the last four years, we've been doing that, and it's been a wonderful thing to see what God is doing through Tyler and a network of area directors that are influencing the lives of men to be apprenticed to Jesus Christ. And so, uh, Tyler, would you come? And as Tyler comes, uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about Man in the Mirror. My first connection to Man in the Mirror was a book by that title by Patrick Morley. Yeah. Is that like almost 30 years ago now? Absolutely. Something like that. Yep. And that actually spawned this movement across the nation, Mm -hmm. and uh, it's impacting and has for 30 years men across our nation. Tell us a little bit about that, and then teach us what Jesus has given you this morning. Thanks so much, Brad. Why men? It's a question we get asked every so often. Why does Man in the Mirror focus just on men? Well, the answer is actually really simple. Um, I imagine most of us could very easily bring to mind the names and faces of numerous men that we know who are falling short, failing, lost. And we also, I think, all understand that the collateral damage that happens as a result when men fail is devastating. On the flip side, when men get it right, everyone around them benefits. That's why at Man in the Mirror, our singular focus is to come alongside pastors and local church leaders as they reach and disciple their men. Changing men truly changes everything. But it's an incredibly challenging endeavor for these churches. And so our goal is to get in the trenches with them, to really support their efforts, provide tools that they need, lighten their load a little bit, and help them be more successful. And we will not rest until every church disciples every man. I am incredibly grateful to our Copper Hills Church family for investing in our ministry and partnering with us to serve pastors and raise up leaders and transform men all across this valley and across the western United States. A little later, I'll share a story or two with you about how God is working in our ministry. But first, I want to shift gears to our topic at hand for today. I want you to think about kind of what does the aftermath of Christmas look like for you? You know, the wrapping paper is all in the trash. The family has gone home. The The fridge is is full of leftovers. The diet is about to start. And the kids have probably already gotten bored with all their brand new toys. Christmas is over, right? Well, maybe not. Sure, the calendar has moved past December 25th, but that doesn't mean that Christmas has to end. This season is all about celebrating the reality that our God came in human form through Jesus to live with us. He was given the name Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. And over the past few weeks, Pastor Brad has done a fantastic job challenging us to think about what it means to live this God with us life through the Christmas season. And today we're going to put a bow on this series by looking at how we live the God with us life after Christmas and moving into a new year. Because when we live this way, then Jesus becomes, as the great theologian Cousin Eddie once said, the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. 
And we're not talking about the Jelly of the Month Club. So the big idea today is that everything changes when we allow Emmanuel, God with us, to shape how we live today and every day. It's not a one-time thing. It's not temporary. It's not a nice idea during Christmas and then we just go back to the way things were before. No, the God with us life has to shape who we are now and into the future. Now, before we dive into this, I want to make a little disclaimer. I know that there's probably some of you in the room today and, and some online who for the last few weeks have had a mindset of just trying to get by, just want to get this Christmas season behind you. I understand that for so many people, Christmas time is not filled with hope and, and peace and wonder, especially this year. So if that's you, the idea of Christmas continuing probably isn't all that appealing. I get that. However, I think for all of us, there can be incredible blessings in living the God with us life. And hopefully by the end of our time together today, you'll feel the same way. So to get us thinking about this idea, we're going to spend the bulk of our time together looking at how a handful of people who were some of the very first to come in contact with the fulfillment of God with us, how they reacted and received Jesus. Because I believe we can learn how to live this type of life from those who experienced it first. And I want to start by looking at the wise men. So if you have your Bibles or an app, please turn to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to start reading in verse 7, and the verses will also be up on the screen for you. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Spoiler alert, he's lying, right? Verse 9 after this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. We're going to come back to that a little later. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Upon seeing the Messiah, the wise men immediately bowed down, and worshiped him. If God's presence in their lives instantaneously dropped them to their knees in worship, then I think we should take the same approach with God's presence in our lives. So that's the first thing we can learn about living the God with us life in the coming year. Lesson number two from the wise men about living this type of life is found in the second part of verse 11. It says, then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So the second thing we learned from the wise men is that they were compelled to generosity. When we live as though God is with us, our knee-jerk reaction should be to share our time, talents, and treasures. We should be compelled to give and give abundantly. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh were gifts of great value and significance. They were given out of love and a posture of gratitude. Going back to the first point, these gifts were an extension of the wise men worshiping. This is less about money and more about mindset. 
the wise men understood how truly blessed they were to get to experience God with them. And as a result, they couldn't help but give generously in response. Next up is the shepherds. What can we learn from their experience? The first thing is that the shepherds couldn't keep the good news to themselves. We're going to jump ahead two books to Luke and look at chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God and saying glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. They told everyone. Now, full disclosure, I don't tell everyone that I know about my life with Jesus. I'm going to go out on a limb and, and guess that, that many of you are the same way. And there's a million reasons we come up with for why we do that, right? I don't know if they're interested. I don't want to offend them. I wouldn't know what to say. I'm scared. But what does it say here? After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone. For them, experiencing God with us did something radical in their hearts. They just couldn't keep it in. There's no excuses, no reason not to do it. The difference that Jesus had made in their lives in an instant was too meaningful to not tell the world about it. I've been following Jesus for almost 30 years, and yet I don't take the same approach that the shepherds did. If you're anything like me, will you join me? And in 2021, let's be more bold about sharing the God with us life with everyone we come in contact with. Skip down to verse 20. The shepherds then went back to their flocks, to their normal way of life, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. As a result of experiencing God with us, everything was going to be different now for the shepherds. So lesson number two from them is that they had a new normal, living a life of worship. You know, some of us have probably spent a large chunk of this year saying things like, well, when things get back to normal, after COVID, right? But I wonder if God has a, a new normal in store for us 
I mean, after all, once we've experienced God with us, does it make sense to go back to the way things were before? Maybe for you, you've ended up spending most of this year living a life of worry instead of worship. If so, let me encourage you to do that differently in 2021. Having your new normal being a life of worship in light of God being with you. So that's the shepherds. The next two people I want us to look at are two prophets who encountered God with us when baby Jesus was presented at the temple. These are really fascinating experiences that give us a good view of how everything changes when we allow Emmanuel to shape how we live. Let's look first at Luke 2, starting in verse 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. So the first thing we learn from Simeon's God with us experience is that meeting Jesus gave his life meaning and purpose. His life would not be complete He couldn't die until he met Jesus. Once he did, he was good to go. That's all he needed. If you call yourself a a follower of Jesus, we have the answer. So many people around us are searching for meaning and purpose, yet we have what they're looking for. If you've ever asked questions like, What is the meaning of life or what is my purpose? I believe that living out God with us is the answer. If it was good enough for Simeon the prophet, then shouldn't it be good enough for us too? Along those same lines, the second thing we learn from Simeon is that once he met Jesus, he finally had peace. At times this year, things in our country and our world have been chaotic. The complete opposite of peaceful. But living the God with us life brings us peace in uncertain circumstances. A great example of that is a guy named Dennis. Dennis attends Riverview Church outside San Diego, which Larry, one of the area directors that I lead, works with. And Larry recently shared with me this story about Dennis. He said in 2017, Dennis walked into Riverview a hurting man. He had recently been served divorce papers by his wife of more than 35 years. He was forced to leave his home and family to live in a small apartment by himself. Estranged from his wife and grown children, he stepped into a situation at Riverview where a group of men were prepared to minister to him in grace and truth. Over the next three years, Dennis was comforted in his pain and brokenness. He was encouraged in his faith and surrendered to God's will in his life. He was equipped to step into a ministry to men leadership role and to love others as he had learned to love himself. Finally, 
He was empowered through his personal transformation to be there for his ex-wife and children as she faced life-threatening heart surgery. She had never accepted the Lord as her Savior, even though Dennis had shared the gospel with her many times. In the final days of her life, through his actions, Dennis simply showed her Christ's love. He believes she left this world knowing her Savior. Recently, Dennis called Larry to tell him he was leaving Riverview Church. The reason he was leaving, though, was because his children wanted him to start attending their church with them. Larry writes, Dennis had found peace with God. And that had led to peace with his ex-wife and peace with his children. All because in his pain, God had led him to a church that was ready and able to minister to him where he was at. I think it's safe to say that that Dennis experienced what Simeon did and what all of us can. That living the God with us life brings peace. Now let's look at another prophet who had a, a God with us experience with the newborn Jesus. Right after the story of Simeon, Luke records the story of Anna, starting in verse 36. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Now you'll probably notice that Anna had a similar experience to the wise men in that once she encountered Jesus, she started praising. And she had a similar experience to the shepherds because verse 38 says she talked about Jesus to everyone. But her God with us experience also had a component that was unique to her, which was that her faithful patience was rewarded. Anna spent much of her life as a widow, but she stayed laser-focused on a singular purpose. Verse 37 says she never left the temple, but stayed there day and night worshiping God with fasting and prayer. Her long suffering ended in a glorious reward of getting to be one of the very first people to experience the God with us life. If you're in a season right now that feels long or drawn out or monotonous, let me encourage you to be faithfully patient in living the God with us life. You may not see the reward right now, but you can trust that God is faithful and that he sees your faithfulness. The last person I'd like us to look at is the one who knew more intimately than anyone what God with us meant the one who carried deity and flesh with her for nine months, Jesus' mother Mary. Let's look at Luke chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 35. And at this point, the angel Gabriel has already come to Mary and told her the crazy news that she's pregnant and going to give birth to Jesus. She's obviously amazed and in shock. And then in verse 35, the angel replies, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. Verse 38, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Mary was humble. Earlier in that passage, Gabriel told her that that God considered her a favored woman. And then went on to explain that she was about to play a huge role in God's divine plan for the redemption of the world. I was thinking recently about the well-known song that's only sung during this time of year, Mary, Did You Know? Personally, I think the answer is a clear and resounding yes. She had to know. I think she knew not only who Jesus was and what he was going to be, but she also must have known the implications of what that meant for her. That she was going to be revered throughout history. That she would be at the center of the greatest message of hope and salvation there would ever be. Yet, she remained humble. And in her humility, she used her situation to point people to God. If you skip down to verse 46 we get to see Mary's unvarnished gut reaction to what was going to happen to her. These are Mary's words. She says, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. What I love about this is throughout this whole song of praise, Mary is just marveling in God, describing his greatness, showing people for generations to come that he is worthy to be praised. And let's not forget, we're talking about a teenage girl who upon realizing that she was the one picked to give birth to the Messiah, could have very easily said, look at me, I'm favored, God said so, he picked me. But she didn't do that. She wanted all the glory to go to God. Mary used her situation, which, by the way, in the moment, was not a good one. But she used it anyway to point people to God. She used it as a golden opportunity. That's what a God with us perspective does. What's your situation right now? And good or bad, how are you using it to point people to him? The wise men, the shepherds, Simeon, Anna, and Mary, all were wonderful examples for us of what living the God with us life can look like. And while they all had some unique aspects to their experience, I believe there's also one really crucial commonality found among all of them. And it's that all of them found joy because God was with them. And that's the next thing I want to talk about. Because the God with us life 
really should result in joy. Yet it breaks my heart to see so many people who call themselves followers of Jesus seem to live with no joy. And I think it's because too often we allow situations to dictate whether or not we choose to have joy. But here's the deal. Experiencing true joy from God's presence in our lives through the person of Jesus is not circumstantial. Let me say that again so you don't miss it. True joy, the life that God calls us to live, the reason he sent himself to the earth in the form of his son, the joy that results from that is not circumstantial. What do I mean by that? Well, I don't intend to paint an unrealistic picture of what the God with us life looks like. It doesn't mean all our problems go away. It doesn't mean life is going to be perfect. Unfortunately, the the harsh reality is that there's some in this room and, and some online that just went through their last Christmas. And as depressing as that thought may be, it's true. Whether 2021 ends up being 180 degrees different than 2020, or if it's another disappointing year, God is with you, and you can have joy. In good times and bad, Emmanuel, God with us, is a constant. He never leaves us or forsakes us, and that gives us joy. As Pastor Brad said last weekend, good news produces great joy. And that good news is that God is with us. That carries powerful significance in our lives. In our marriage conflicts, in our parenting struggles, God is with us. In our jobs with overbearing bosses and high-pressure deadlines, God is with us. In our neighborhoods with neighbors we can't seem to get along with no matter how hard we try, God is with us. In our health crises, in our depression, in our anxiety, in our stress and our worry, in our fear and our doubt, God is with us. And that is good news that produces great joy. Friends, I think if If you're someone who calls yourself a follower of Christ, then there are people who don't, who are watching you and I. They're just waiting to see how we're going to respond when things are difficult, when they don't go the way we think they should. And that gives us an incredible opportunity to live with joy, regardless of our circumstances, to exemplify God with us. Remember what Matthew said about the wise men. Upon seeing the star, they were filled with joy. They hadn't even had the opportunity yet to see how their situation was going to play out. Yet they were already filled with joy. Here's the deal. Our community, our country, our world needs you and me living the God with us life. Your family desperately needs that. Your workplace needs that. And brothers and sisters, this church body needs all of us living that way.
So I want to end where we began, with the idea that everything changes when we allow Emmanuel to shape how we live today and every day. Last week, Pastor Brad shared some powerful imagery of how just a little bit of light draws our attention in the darkness. But what really stuck out to me about that is that not only does the light draw our attention, but that it overtakes the darkness. The light of God coming into this world in human form conquers and defeats darkness. You might be in a dark place right now. You might end up in a dark place next year. But remember, joy is not circumstantial. God with us does not depend on your situation. Whether you're facing a a layoff or a promotion, prosperity or debt, a healthy body or one overtaken by a virus, Christmas next year with a home full, surrounded by all the people you love, or an empty seat at the table, happiness or depression, trust or anxiety, whatever you're facing today, whatever you're going to face tomorrow, God is with you. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you sent Jesus to be with us. What an amazing, miraculous thing you did. And we're so grateful, Lord, that that we have this time of year that we can celebrate that and hopefully slow down a little bit and remember that. But God, I pray that it wouldn't stop there. As the calendar turns to January, Lord, let that that mindset, that God with us life continue on. We know that we're in a world that desperately needs hope. And God, we know that, that you have that. So Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you have done and what you will do. And we thank you for the fact that we can have true joy in all circumstances because you are with us. We love you and we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we all pray.